This interview was supported by an unrestricted educational grant from Beatrice. Beatrice had no role in the selection of the topics or the selection of the speakers and has not vetted or reviewed the content of any of the interviews. The views expressed by speakers are their own and may not necessarily represent the views of the IMS. I'm Dr. Marla Shapiro and I'm on the Board of Trustees of the International Menopause Society and I'm pleased to be joined today by Dr. Rosella Nappi. Um, she is Professor of Obstetrics and Gynecology at the University of Pavia, Italy, Director of Gynecological Endocrinology, IVF and Menopause Research Center. And uh, for many of us uh, at IMS, she has been a fixture. She is presently the General Secretary of IMS, and we always turn to her for information and education. Welcome, Rosella. It's lovely to see you. Hi, Marla. It's a pleasure to be with you. So we're going to talk about a topic that somehow we need to keep on talking about because we know that women are not being diagnosed and treated. So for our healthcare professionals out there, I would like you first to talk about VVA and GSM and where VVA falls into GSM. What are these letters? What do they stand for? And what do we need to know? VVA, vulvovaginal atrophy, is a condition we know since many, many years. And uh, uh, recently, uh, in 2014, uh, a group of experts uh, um, convened in Chicago and they decided that this word was a, a bit outdated, but especially they realized that it's very difficult to speak aloud the vagina, even in the office uh, of the OBGYN or the medical practitioner. And especially, you can imagine, in the, in the press or on TV show. So for this reason, they decided that we should use a word that was uh, more sensible and therefore they selected genitourinary syndrome of menopause. But also they did that because they want to put mm, the attention on the fact that this is a syndrome uh, it's a condition that has many symptoms, not only related to the vagina or the vulva, but broadly distributed in the pelvic floor, the urinary system, and so on. But vulval vaginal atrophy for, uh, and one can understand nobody likes the word atrophy. Uh, many women often um, don't bring it up to their healthcare practitioners. So what would you advise healthcare practitioners to be thinking about in terms of when they're likely to see it in relationship to the menopause. I, I agree. Women, they don't like the word atrophy because it's something negative. And uh, uh, doctors should be uh, proactive in order to uh, bring up the subject in the consultation. Uh, first of all, they should ask in a very sensible way Many women suffer from, exa for example, from uh, uh, vaginal dryness, uh, pain with intercourse, burning, itching, even during uh, sport activity or uh, other aspects of your daily life. This is happening to you as well. This is the first uh, question to break the ice with your patient. Second, of course, if you are in an OBGYN consultation, you have some objective sign that you may record on the chart of the patient and you will see the lining of the vagina, the vagina is pale, you may observe that the vaginal canal is anelastic 
And so you can record all these different issues and try to uh, motivate the patient to uh, be proactive on the condition because many women that believe it's just a question of aging and they do not understand that there is a clear connection with the endocrine changes that we observe in the, in the vagina and in the genital in general. It's both the lack of estrogen and of course we have also to take into account the aging phenomena. And this aging phenomena is really concomitant to the estrogen deficiency. But if we do not reverse at least the estrogen deficiency, the condition related to aging will pr progress, will become chronic, and in some, at some point will become even irreversible. So let's talk about something that we often don't think about, which is the impact that it has, I mean, obviously painful sexual intercourse and vaginal discharge a woman may come in complaining about, but what is the impact in terms of, we think about this gender disease being in women, but in fact, the impact is not necessarily for the women alone. Exactly. The impact that is on the woman, of course, because she feel a vaginal dryness, she feel sexual pain. We know that more or less 50% of women report these symptoms in survey. And even more when you go uh, to study in menopause clinic, up to 90% of women. And the impact is on the relationship, first of all. So on uh, the intimacy of the couple, we have seen that when vaginal atrophy is there, uh, there is uh, an impact not only on quality of life of women, but really on the quality of the relationship, not only from a sexual point of view, but also on intimacy. So it's a great burden that doctors really need to do something to help women in this, uh, with this condition. So is looking at the vaginal vault enough? Is looking at the introitus enough? Is there anything more that we need to do to make the diagnosis? And I bring this up because, you know, in North America and other countries, we're only doing pap smears every three years and people aren't necessarily taking a look at the rest. You are absolutely right. Uh, pap smear is not enough. First of all, of course, we interview the patient, but then we really need to describe carefully what we've seen. And it's the vagina, it's not only the vagina, we have the vulva, so we have, we have to look at the introitus. We now develop some scales to rate the symptoms and to describe where uh, the, the pain, for example, is located because we have to keep in mind that vaginal atrophy is very common, but as physician, we should rule out also other conditions that are less common that may be related also to vaginal atrophy. Let's think about lichen sclerosis, for example. Mm -hmm. So we really need to be um, precise in the description. We have to consider the comorbidity, for example, women having recurrent uh, infection, vaginal infection. So it's very important to measure pH, for example, a very easy tool to, uh, to measure the amount of uh, uh, estrogenization within the vagina. We know that the microbiota is changing with uh, the estrogen deficiency. So uh, uh, we have to rule out infection, of course, but we have to keep in mind that vulvovaginal atrophy sometimes is associated to atrophic vaginitis, so to Garnerella and other 
um, bacteria from the gut reservoirs, such as E. coli, that can also give you uh, cystitis and urinary symptoms in general. So we really need to rate this symptom and to try to figure out what is the best solution for the patient you have in front of you. Okay, so let's move on to treatment. And let's talk about when should treatment be initiated and the types of treatment that are available for women across the globe. We have discovered throughout the years that it's very important to be um, proactive in terms of treatment. So we don't have to wait too long to treat the VVA. We realize that we treat VVA only when the condition is very severe. And uh, so we really need to start early in the menopausal trajectory. If we break the ice with our patient and we realize that they have a, a vaginal uh, atrophy or at least uh, some symptoms, let's say vaginal dryness, which is the most common, first line treatment should be lubricants and moisturizers. They provide relief uh, from pain during sexual intercourse, but they help the structure also the vaginal mucosa. Then we have to consider local estrogen therapy because they are effective strategies, especially when lubricants and moisturizers are not enough or the symptoms become more clinically relevant. And we have to keep in mind that low-dose estrogen products we have on the market, they are both efficacious and with a good safety profile. Then we have also to keep in mind that for some women that one day have, they suffer from climacteric symptoms, especially moderate and severe hot flashes, and they are in need of prevention for osteoporosis, even systemic hormone therapy can uh, relieve uh, VVA. But this is only when VVA is part of the climacteric syndrome. And last but not least, I would like to spend the word on the fact that different markets, they have different products. And we have always to, um, to rely on the product we have uh, across the world in our market, the one we are more familiar with, the one we can propose to our patient and we, can, um, and, and we don't have to use maybe strategies that are not evidence-based. I'm alluding to the fact that there is a, a, an epidemic use, at least in some part of the world, of uh, um, thermal energy, for example, device that can be useful in women uh, uh, with contraindication, for example, to hormone therapy, but we really need to be careful that not every woman should use this technique. And we are still in the process to produce uh, clear-cut guidelines in order to uh, establish an algorithm that allow us uh, to propose this treatment to women. And this is the only way to really produce uh, good evidence-based medicine and uh, care to women. And before I let you go, a word on the chronicity of treatment. That, you know, for many women who have hot flashes and night sweats, they will be treated, but for many women, they'll go away over a six year period or so. Some women will never lose their hot flashes, but most women will, and then they stop their treatment. This is a chronic progressive estrogen deficient condition. How long do we treat it? 
we should treat how long is needed, in my opinion. And since this is a chronic condition, we should start, we should explain very well to our patient that adherence to the treatment is essential. Uh, and this is the only way the treatment is really effective because we can reverse the condition when it's not so, so, so severe and we can obtain uh, a lot of benefit. However, we know that women sometimes they don't like to put this product in the vagina. We should really explain them that this is relevant for their quality of life and well-being, that the symptoms will not disappear. There are some women, they are also lucky because they have on the market product that can be used orally. And in this case, uh, uh, we have, uh, for example, uh, in, in our market in Italy, where I come from, Ospemifen, which is a serum, but for this drug, uh, we don't have uh, so much long-term data because they are new on the market. Whereas, for example, for local estrogen therapy, we have uh, uh, plenty of data suggesting that we can use as long as needed. Of course, we really need to check the woman annually uh, in order to rule out, for example, um, the possibility that some side effects may occur. Because the data we have from a clinical study, they are usually up to 52 weeks of observation. But uh, for us in practice, what is important to, to, to suggest to the woman is really to go on with the treatment and then maybe we can revise in one year and see if the treat is still needed at that dose with that kind of drug and we can also exchange a treatment depending on the need of the woman. And my last question, I promise before I let you go, is that in many markets we're seeing the emergence of laser therapy. Any words about the use of laser? Laser, we um, have some experience in Italy because Italians, they have used a lot. And uh, on the short term, a laser can be effective. We have different kinds of laser. We have a CO2 laser, we have erbium laser. We have also other kinds of thermal energy, such as radio frequency, they are uh, coming out. Uh, this treatment, uh, um, they have the, 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 the benefit of being uh, not pharmacologically, but we don't have uh, so ma many long-term studies. So we really need to uh, wait uh, uh, and be cautious to think about that we don't know, for example, how long the benefit will last. We have data just up to one, two years, and we, it's not for everybody because uh, unfortunately, at least in my country, they are not reimbursed this kind of treatment for the national health system. And I, since uh, VVA is an epidemic condition, as a, a, a physician and a researcher, I always prefer to uh, propose to my patient what is really evidence-based and is uh, affordable for uh, the majority of people. But of course, for example, for women, they are breast cancer survivors. For women, they have contraindication to use uh, hormone therapy. These uh, strategies, they are uh, extremely relevant. And we hope that we will have more data out there to prove their effectiveness and even safety on the long term. Well, thank you so much for joining me today.
Thank you, Marla, for giving me the opportunity to be here.